0: Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, excellent to be speaking with Mr. Roger Lockshear for the third time. Uh, Always a pleasure to see you, Roger. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Marcus. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, So we did two podcasts. Well, it was supposed to be one that happily turned into two. And during the course of those two podcasts, we primarily focused on your book, We Saved SOG Souls. Uh, Excellent book. Um, So, goes without saying that you need to go and buy this book if you're listening or watching. Uh, We run through it in those two podcasts. um, And for today, We're gonna kind of pick up up where we left off on the second time. We did cover it a little bit on the tail end of that second episode, uh, discussing the time when you got back home. And what interested me about that is kind of the thing that maybe as a reader, and I'll just speak from my own perspective, but I think a lot of people share this sentiment is that as a reader, I sometimes forget that this is an, the person who wrote this book, being you in this case, is an actual person. This is a real person who had real experiences. You have feelings, you have memories, you have people who care about you. There's people that you care about. And so it's, it's kind of interesting when you get pulled into such a compelling story, which yours obviously is. Um, but then the other part of me wonders, you know, that human side you know, because obviously not many people, I mean, uh, unless you faced combat, that's kind of a small percentage of people who can truly relate to just what that feels like and what that does to, a, to an individual. Um, but regardless of that, I, I still think that you can, th- there's so much wisdom and there's so many different experiences that can help people out in so many different ways just by listening and, and just by understanding. And I think just in general too, it, it also helps you build empathy and just to understand where somebody came from and, you know, what was their process for getting through tough times and getting through good times? You know, how, what did that look like? What'd that feel like? So I've, I've become a lot more interested in, in the human side of, as it were. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going to start, especially because coming out of the Vietnam War, uh, that war in itself was unique as to how the public perceived it. And then just that era, that era of time. Um, so just kind of trying to understand more of, of the experiences that you went through and. Um, yeah, and so I think we'll just kind of we'll just kind of jump in, and I know like a couple of these topics we we did briefly cover, um, so we'll we'll just kind of go over it again for, for yeah. sake of today, and then we'll uh, we'll just kind of have at it and and let it go. So I guess kind of one of the things, and we'll kind of go more or less chronologically, like we don't have to, but it's it's just sort of kind of like a natural progression at least, um, but we'll jump around as as we need to. Um, I'm just looking at my notes. Prioritizing. <laughs> 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 I'm like, where do we want to jump in here? But um, why why don't you just tell us? Um, so you you get home. You 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 fly out of Vietnam, um, and all of a sudden you're just back home. You're in Connecticut. Right. W- w- what's running through your head? What was that like?
1: Well, um, I I wasn't. <sighs> I wasn't totally prepared for the environment that the the country was in at that time. Um, As you know, I volunteered to go into the military. I volunteered to go airborne. I volunteered to be in gunship helicopters. I volunteered to be with SOG and running those top secret missions. So basically for the past three years, I was uh very intently and intensely involved with people of very similar mindset and a very specialized very specialized group of people um, I wasn't involved with anybody that was had questions not, not so much questions but didn't like what was going on with the war let's say or was against the war or against fighting and and this and that. So, uh, consequently, and, and and I knew there was you know protesting it, it, that was going on before I went over. Okay. but I really was kind of insulated from how serious it was and and how intense it was for um, for a Vietnam vet coming home. So, uh, but I. <laughs> Found out very quickly what that was like and, and what to expect. So, so that was a surprise and a disappointment. I mean, there were, you know, there were no welcoming parades. Not that you wanted a parade, but um, aside from my family and a few very, very close friends, um, there was no welcome home. And um, and just had to pick up the pieces of my life that I left three years ago and figure out and try to move forward. So um, fortunately for me, um, I had, which was my girlfriend, uh, the for the year before I went to Vietnam, um, waiting for me. And um, as soon as I did get home, um, and she made it very clear that she waited a year <laughs> and and wanted to get married, you know as soon as possible. So I got home uh, the very uh November thirtieth, uh, nineteen sixty eight um, Christmas Eve the following month, three weeks later, we got engaged, and then we got married. February first, oh,
0: wow.
1: which um, I'm sure my family their their heads were probably spinning. <laughs> you know, they probably thought I, you know, was making a big mistake. But you know, to you know, for this to happen so quickly and and whatnot, but it was uh, for me. It was a blessing. It really was because um, it was it was hard going from, from being in combat and intense combat, you know, virtually every day, you know, every time I got in the aircraft, it was because we were going to have a gunfight. I mean, that's, that's what it was. You know, we, we weren't, we weren't moving supplies around. We weren't moving troops around. We were, every time we got, in the air. Every time we went in the air, we're going to a firefight or we're going to go start a firefight, (laughs) you know, and and that was it. So, you know, from going from that to you have to blend in with uh, civilian life and with your surroundings that are not too favorable for a vet at that time, um, that that was a challenge. That was really a challenge. So, getting married really soon like that was was a lifesaver for me. That gave me a focus. It gave me a new focus right. where I could focus on somebody else. I mean, you know, and not not you know the uh, the ghosts that are hanging on to me and all you know the demons that are you know knocking at the door. So um, that that's that was uh, a, a big a big change, a big change. I, I very quickly in the workplace, uh, I weren't, went right back to the company that I had left three years prior. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, went right back um, started on my apprenticeship, continued my apprenticeship um, because it, you know, I was going to get married. I need, you know, needed work, needed, and and again, a focus, a focus. You know, I had to have a focus. Um, put the background in a compartment. You know, uh, and and try to keep it deep right. in that compartment. Um, during during my work experience early on, after I got home, uh, I encountered some issues. With, um, with an employee, another employee that was, um, that was by the only way I can describe it is a loser. If he was, if he was here today, he would be a loser. I mean, he was, he was just a scumbag and um, he almost challenged me. I mean, he, he tested me for sure. Um, in the workplace, and by by saying something to the effect of um, "you vets think you have something, you know, entitled to something, or you're owed something, and or you're trying to prove, you're always trying to prove something," uh, you know, and uh, so with that, you know, I, I just basically told him, "Stay away from me." <laughs> just stay away from me don't bother me stay away but the you know there was so much negative um, going on with vietnam vets with alcoholism and drugs um, and um, and mental illness you know so it was it was um it was a part-time job keeping myself from falling into what someone would perceive as one of those. Um, so with that, you know, I kept everything to myself. I kept the, uh, my background to myself. Now, um, that wasn't easy. That, that wasn't easy at all. Um, I mean, the nightmares came shortly after I got home and uh um i say nightmares but uh in most cases it was night terrors um to the to the extreme and uh so the subconscious was coming through in its way uh, but during the day that was uh, it was non-existent you know so it was um it was a challenge it was a challenge for me um I was uh, starting to, or continuing to drink a little bit. Um, and when uh, when my first son was born, which was uh, just a year later, the following January, um, that again, I mean, this gave me a focus, a real a focus. And I thought, you know, I've got to stop this, not, I, I, not that I was I wasn't um drinking severe, but I knew that it could easily go that way. So I basically backed away from consciously backed away from that. Of course, have beer now and then or a scotch now and then, but but became very um aware of what I didn't want to be because the the um the tendency was there. And and the um, the ease of of going in that direction was certainly there. So I had to focus on my wife, focused on my new new child, new son. A great thing, a really good thing. So um, yeah, in 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 that early the early days coming home for a Vietnam vet, and and it was no different for me than it was for all the thousands of others that came home. Fortunately. My support was was my wife and then my child. Uh, for those who didn't who weren't as fortunate, uh, they really you know a lot fell by the wayside and um, a lot of friends that I have today um, are on their second marriage or third marriage. I think most are in that situation um, and and they all will tell you that they were a jerk. (laughs) You know, it wasn't their wife. It was them, you know, uh, in most cases. So, um, yeah, coming home in 1960, I came home at the very end of 68, but say 69, um, it was not a friendly environment. It was not a friendly... It wasn't... um, You know, I grew up watching the Films and newsreels of uh, from World War II, when when the men came home and they're welcomed with open arms and celebrations and this and that. Now this is uh, this wasn't uh, it wasn't like that at all. It, it was just the opposite. It was just the opposite. So it was better that um, people didn't know that I served. Um, so I, I kind of you know kept it to myself. There were a few people, obviously, that knew um but other than that meeting new people and whatnot now no there was there was none of that I, i for many reasons also there were i you know coming back i was 23 uh going on 24 people i knew um from before i went in the service who were the same age um when i would meet them I felt like I was talking to a high school kid. <laughs> right. No, seriously. I mean, I, I felt yeah. like, you know, I, I went in the military at nineteen, um, 20, just before my 20th birthday. And I came out three years later feeling like I was in my mid forties or so. Um, it just it was just very different, very different. I couldn't, you know, had nothing in common with uh with the people that I knew, you know. As a teenager, so um, again, my family uh, and my growing family was for me that was that was the lifesaver for sure, for sure. My wife was very tolerant, you know, and very understanding. Um, she didn't want to know about some of the things. She couldn't be told about a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, the support, the emotional support was there, and the focus, the focus. The other things are compartmentalized, and that, that there's my focus. Yeah,
0: yeah. You, you touched on uh, several things there, so I just want to kind of rattle through them, and and we'll carry on. But. Um... First of all, that is an incredibly romantic. <laughs> I will say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very romantic. I mean, that's, yeah. that's well, a, 50, a, a 54, positive.
1: 54 years later, she's still there.
0: And that's even better. That's even yeah. better. It makes the story is that, even better. Right?
1: Is that incredible?
0: <laughs> no, that really is for so many reasons. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah. Most
1: of it wasn't for my doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know. But, um, Yeah. And and we, we talked a lot about that more so in the second podcast, but the, the focus, like just this idea of focus and, and um, obviously the context of that was how do you block out fear and uncertainty in order to do your job? Because if you fail to do your job, then that could result in you being killed or your friends being killed. So the, the consequences of, of those actions, for that job where it doesn't get any more extreme than that and mm. so it's interesting then that the the shift in focus then turned to towards um love and care for your wife and then shortly after then your son um, so just to to recognize that um is pretty interesting and that's and also interesting as far as like um a coping mechanism as far as going from such an extreme environment. And as you said, you weren't just fighting, you guys were fighting in the secret war, right? So mm-hmm. as we know, from the several podcasts with John and yourself, now understanding that type of combat is so extreme. Um, and then to just like someone flicked a switch and, and now you're, you're in Connecticut again is, is yeah. shocking, And also now with the, Uh, knowledge that we have about uh, just traumatic brain injury and, and just the, the concussive force of being around charges and you did get shot in the head as well. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) let's not forget that. So, you know, they're also, as far as um, understanding how the brain functions, it's just incredibly, incredibly complicated. And I understand about 0.1% of it, but not only do you have the, the psychological aspect, but also the anatomical part of it too. So there's just so many different things going on. It it's, makes it extremely difficult to decipher and then figure out a course of action on, on how to move through that, you know, cause that's such choppy waters to, to move through um, on a good day. And then mm-hmm. just as you pointed out, well, it, for some people, if they have bad days, what's that going to look like? What are they going to turn to? And then it becomes, well, it's, it's so difficult to cope with. Then it's substances or it's certain, you know, risky behaviors or whatever that might be, because it's just, it's either an escape or it's coping, you know, whatever it, it may be. But, um, just to, it just seems like such a, a complicated thing to work itself through. And, and you touched on something as well. Um, cause I was thinking it, um, I mean, in my it sounds kind of goofy to even relate, it, it's so difficult to kind of relate my own experiences to it, but I'm going to try, I'm going to no, try, No, no. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, with like the, the f- very few experiences that, that I've had in, in the athletic domain of, of really pushing your body to achieve things that are difficult, um, I've, I have a difficult time relating to people, my own age, um, Hmm. just because my, my focus and the things that I'm looking towards achieving just are kind of not in alignment with most. And that's not a judgment thing. I used to be judgmental about that. Um, but I I've, I like to think I've matured and I'm just a little bit more empathetic. So I've gotten over that aspect of it, but it still is, is difficult to relate to people my own age. And as you were saying it, I was, cause I was going to bring it up in the back of my head. I'm like, you, you, you left for three years. It might as well have been 30. When you think of the, the amount of things that you had to deal with and the things that you just saw and experienced, like you are going to mature for better or for worse. Right. Because, you know, some of those things were pretty, pretty terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. But then like, you just kind of like, you come back and you're like, man, I'm like 23 years old. And, (laughs) you know, it's just, so even that, like, you know, just to briefly touch on that and then I got a couple other things, but um, how did you kind of uh, cope with that? Like, did you just kind of say to yourself, like, uh, okay, I just I just gotta focus on what I got going on. And did you just kind of sort of surrender to that and just you know, let's just move yeah, on? I,
1: I, I think, you know, it's part of that, a part of that that I just need to focus on, you know, what I'm doing and and moving on. But the other thing is that um and I I connected more with fellows that were older. Mm-hmm. Um my my closest friends, friend for many, many years, uh, up until he passed away a few years ago. He was um six or seven years older than me. And um he uh, was in a Marine Corps for a short while, you know, much earlier than me, but got injured, n- not combat, but got injured and watched and was released. But he Lost a brother in World War II Um, that was in the Marine Corps. So um, it was easy to connect with him. He was very, very uh, empathetic and very sensitive to, um, you know, to, to kind of what I was going through, even though I didn't necessarily share everything with him. I mean, I would tell him. The so and so that that we've worked with was a real a hole <laughs> and, and he said you don't need to tell me that he said I've known him for 4 years he's been it's <laughs> but um and it, and it was just older older people than I, that I was able to really connect with uh on a friendship basis um better um not exclusively but you know in general generally um, because, again, I um, I didn't have any contact with any other military uh, vets at, at at that time, in the early days, uh, and that was partly by choice um, and partly just from the fact that uh, there was no one that I served with anywhere near, you know, Connecticut. And um, so... You know it's it was um it was different, it was different and uh so um I think part of it is moving on, putting that in the background, putting that in the compartment, and um you know, looking forward, moving forward and I was always very, very goal oriented, and th- I could always instill today. Um, I can focus on something and block block things out. I could be writing with the TV on uh, and, and not even know what's going on over there, but I can, you know, so uh, it was easy to, for me to focus on the day-to-day moving forward um, activities for the most part, you know. Um, but there was, there was a big gap. There was a big gap in, in my soul where, uh, you know, I, I had no one to share this experiences with.
0: And relating to the, the asshole coworker, <laughs> hmm. um, there's something that you, you said to me in, uh, cause I guess we, we chatted a few weeks ago now, um, to set this podcast up and so uh, we chatted for a while and so take taken my notes and there was something that you said to me that um, I've thought about almost every day since I've thought about a lot and really? um, part of it was also related to some MMA training that I'm doing so let me connect this kind of the dots here let attempt to at least um, so the thing that you said was, uh, don't react in alignment with the stereotype. And so, um, that had more to do with the context of in 1979, when apocalypse now came out, we'll get to that. Right. Story. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but, but it also relates to, to this individual too, who obviously didn't, doesn't like the, the face he sees in the mirror. And so rather than, you know, he wasn't talking to you by saying, oh, you know, you vets have something to prove yeah. or whatever. You know, he, he, he's, you know, he, he might as well be looking in the mirror saying that, cause that's, that always is, is the situation. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I've been thinking about this a lot is, um, the key word in there is react to me. And so how I connected this, I was in the middle of a training exercise. Um, so we're doing boxing, mm-hmm. doing some boxing exercises and the thing, I'm going to do my best to demo this on the camera. This might not look good, but that's okay. We'll, 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 but we're basically just doing a, a jab exercise. And so the instructor throws a jab at me. And what you do is you parry it with your right hand in front of your face. And as soon as you parry it, you step forward and you throw a jab in return. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. And you, you sync it up with your footwork. And so we're doing this drill. And in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, that's what Roger was talking about. (laughs) Because you come at me with a shot. You come to hit me in the face and I parry you and I hit you right back.
1: Yeah, I don't think
0: about it. It's just, this is what we do. We just, and I hit you right back. And so it was in the middle of this this routine and I started kind of, I kind of had like this little moment to myself. And I was like, you good? Like I'm like, no,
1: (laughs) I'm good. And and that is, so, you know, to not react Naturally, natural reflex to react. Um it, it was challenging at time. I mean, it really was. It was really challenging. Um, it would have been so much easier just to react. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that particular loser. I wanted to. I wanted to hit him.
0: For I, me, I'm, be, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and just put his lights out so quickly, mm-hmm. but again, you know, I can't react, cannot react to these, uh, to these people that are trying to put you in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so th- I'm glad you thought about that.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking about it a lot, and it, and it was interesting how it kind of connected for me doing this punching drill. Yeah. because it's and and my instinct as well um just as a as an individual is I've I've I I don't know if I necessarily am a bit of a well I don't know maybe maybe my teammates might disagree with me in hockey but hothead for sure um where it's just like you hit me so I'm going to hit you back but I'm going to hit you way harder than you hit me yeah. and it, and it's just sort of that instinct so I've really had to work on that um because I get penalties all the time and that's not a good thing do. <laughs> for the team. Right. That's not good. No. You know, so, and obviously, you know, I'm talking about, you know, beer league hockey, that really has no effect on the, the outside world at all, but it's not, it's not because it has no effect because it does, it, it, mm-hmm. it does not, not what I do on the ice necessarily, but internally because I'm carrying that, that mindset, that behavior of if you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you right back and I'm going to hit you immediately. Mm. And, and just having that understanding of, well, can I be better than that? Because it's going to feel really good for a couple seconds after I hit yeah. you back, I'm going to feel yeah. really good, but oh, then yeah. the chances are, I'm probably going to feel like an ass after yeah. because it's like, well, is that really the level that I'm capable of, of carrying myself? Or am I actually capable of being a little bit more put together and, and not reactive? Mm. You know that—that's the difference, and so, yeah. So it's you know having thought about that was was quite interesting, um, but getting back to the <laughs> topic at hand. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so actually, we'll, we'll, let's jump back to um, what is this here? Nineteen. Yeah. So ni- nineteen seventy-five. Um, so that's when the U.S. started to vacate. Vietnam, right.
1: Um,
0: so, several years have gone by. So we'll call it 1969 once you got home and more or less settled or began yeah. to attempt to settle in. Um, and actually, sorry, really quickly before I get to that, I, I forgot one other thing. Um, so when it came to the <laughs> kind of throw it at you, but when it came to the the drinking it obviously sounds like you you were pretty introspective with that because based on what you said it it really shines clear to me that you could see a trend and you mm-hmm. could also see how something like that can get out of hand quickly w- was that something that you processed kind of automatically or or was that something that and, and you obviously mentioned that there were other vets who you know, in some cases, they, they, you know, died because of the substance right. issues got out of hand or mental illness, you know, contributed, you know, to a bit of a chicken and egg thing going on there. Um, but what was that? What was that like for you? Like, was that something that you consciously recognized? And, and so then you sort of put the pieces together and understood, okay, we need to figure this no, out.
1: No, it was something that I consciously recognized. Um, and not that it was a problem. It wasn't. A problem. Yet. But I recognize I didn't want it to be.
0: That's right.
1: And I also um, with I've got this little baby now as my little son and think and thinking, wait a minute, you know, I want to set an example. You know, I don't want to fall into the trap that so many, not only veterans, but so many people fall into. Um, I don't want, I don't want to go that way. So, yeah, it was a conscious, a conscious effort. And it wasn't based out of fear or anything like that. It was just, it it just, to me, it was what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to become.
0: Situational awareness.
1: Yeah. Situational awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: Yeah. So now we'll go to 19. I just wanted to. Yeah ask you about that but yeah so w- once the uh u.s started to leave uh vietnam so yeah so we're about f- f- six years later mm-hmm. um, how were you kind of right up until that point and then what effect if any did because then obviously that would have been in the news so you know would have became another talking point at least in the mm-hmm. public sphere um so how are you doing kind of shortly before that point? And then how did that affect you?
1: Well, it was um, leading up to 1975. um, Each year, each month, each year that progressed, um, it was becoming more and more apparent how the country was so much against what was going on in, in Vietnam. All uh, against the war, against soldiers—you know, the whole, the whole thing. Um, I I was by by the time that the U.S. started pulling out in 1975, that was starting to wear on me heavy um, of what I did, you know, um, the many friends that I lost in the process of trying to do what they believe was the right thing for their country and um you know what's going on was uh did i go into uh did i go into combat and shoot all these people and their lives for nothing you know all the friends that the friends that i lost who gave it all was it all just for nothing, for waste, you know, return it right back over um, the country, right back over to the communist. Um, I, I went there, I joined the military in a, um, in an attempt to do my part to defeat communism. Now we're just going to give it all back, you know, so I mean, it was, there was a lot of stuff weighing, weighing heavy. Um, should I have done what I did? You know, um, I enjoyed what I was doing, what I did. I you know, I didn't have to do it. Uh, was I wrong? You know, that I uh, you know, do all this in vain. Where all these lives lost, people I knew and was close to, was that all in vain. So um, it was getting to be a dark time for me and um, there was a fella, a co-worker that was a World War II vet. Not a U.S. vet. He was a German vet. He was um, he was raised in Germany, brought up in Germany by a um, well-to-do family. Um, he grew up in, um, in the shadows and in the uh, training of the Third Reich, if you would. <clears throat> he went to military school um, in the lower grades. He went into military school into the high school years, into college, uh, went to military academy, um, and became an officer in the German army, the regular German army, um, not the Gestapo, Gestapo, not the SS, the regular German army. Anyway, um, he, was, he was a fellow that um, was very quiet. He kept to himself. A uh, very nice man. Um, I knew him. Um, before I went into the military. Uh, he worked in the same pl- the same place. I knew him then before. and um, like I say, he was he was a very quiet person. He kept to himself, and he was a very, very patriotic American patriotic person, citizen. Uh, he wore that on his sleeve. He really did. I mean, he um, he loved this country. And um, oh. one day um, he approached me and, and it, this was during the height of what was going on and, uh, and and said something to the effect of uh, Roger, which, you know, anytime you want to, you'd like to talk about what's going on and how you're feeling, um, I'm, I'm here, to, you know, to talk to you and, uh, you know, I said, I said, thank you, and, you know, put it in the compartment. Um, a short while later, I don't now I don't know if it was a few days or a week or two, whatever, but he approached me again, and uh, it was probably showing in, in my demeanor, no doubt, uh, because I was, um, I wouldn't say I was shut down, but... I was not um really interacting with uh, with people very much. I was just trying to get trying to stay focused on what I was my job and whatnot. Anyway, uh he approached me and he said uh he said, hey, he said, let's go out at lunchtime, let's go out and sit out, sit outside. It's sunny day and you know, whatever. So I did. And um so we, we went out there. And he started sharing with me how, what his background was. I mean, I knew he was a World War II vet from Germany that migrated into the US from Canada. Um, I knew that, um, um, I knew that supposedly he was an officer. Other than that, you know, I, I didn't know anything. So he proceeded to tell me his life story. And um, up until um, when he was wounded during the Battle of the Bulge. And um, he said that um, when the Americans came in, um, and he was, he was in the hospital, I guess, um, and the Americans, the Americans came in and were so good to him. And he said... And then he was also, at that same time, realizing that everything he was told, everything he believed in, everything about the German, you know, uh, being a better race and everything, he said, everything that I knew and believed in up until this point in my life was a lie. He said, "My, my whole life was a lie. And uh, he said, and yet, he said, the Americans, the evil Americans came in and they took such good care of me and they were good. And, you know, uh, he said, so I went through, a, I went through all of this. I thought my country had betrayed me. Um, he said, but, you know, he said, was it wasn't really my country that betrayed me, but the leaders that were calling the calling the shots, and uh, he he said uh, something to the effect, um, "I hope you don't ever think that your country, you know, lied to you or betrayed you, um, and don't ever think that, that what you did and your dedication was wrong." He said, "You did what you believe was right." He said, I did what I believed was right. He said, I didn't know about all these atrocities. And he said, I was a soldier. I was a professional soldier. And he said, so, you know, don't feel that way. Try not to feel that way if, if, if that's bothering you. And I mean, these are n- not all exact words. I mean, this is going back to, you know, 1969. I mean, 1975. Um, but that was a general gist. Of the conversation and I'll tell you what it it helped tremendously i mean i i felt like this you know this cloud was was kind of not gone but you know lifted away a little bit and uh i i felt much better and uh, he and i stayed friends uh he's he's gone now obviously but for years and years um and every once in a while when i would see him he would say to me Roger, remember our conversation out in the sunny day? I said, yeah, mental, meant a lot to me. You know, gave me some perspective. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was interesting. The best advice, of course, we had this asshole that was <laughs> in the same building that he couldn't hold a stick to this man. This man was a gentleman. Um, he He was, like I say, he was as patriotic as anybody could ever be. He loved this country. Uh, and um, but here an adversary of the US at the time. And uh, he was uh, he 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 kind of opened the door for me to see, you know, and took the cloud away a little bit. So it was interesting. That was very, very interesting and very observant on his part.
0: Well, and sounds like it made an impact on him, too. Like for, for him to feel compelled enough, because just as you describe him, you know, kind of more of a reserved, uh, oh, very. What, what I would imagine. I mean, I got I have a friend of mine who's German. She's kind of conservative and she's like young, right? So this is like that era of, of man. <laughs> so yeah. I can imagine. So for for him to um, go out of his way and, and extend a hand like that, Um you know, obviously sent something or saw something or um, but felt compelled enough um, for your sake. But I, I suspect for his sake, too, to to just
1: maybe I never thought you know, of it that way, but perhaps, perhaps
0: in a good way, not in a
1: negative oh, way. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. In a good way. He was, no. Like I say, he was a very, very private person. He wasn't close to anybody. <laughs> um, uh, you know, n- not that he it wasn't it wasn't that he was an unfriendly person he kept to himself that's right yeah you know and he was very professional um, uh, very dignified man very very uh, well educated um just you know that was his his way
0: mm-hmm. and so then uh just kind of going off the the notes that i got so we kind of jumped from from that time. And then, um, I, I, it is in your book and we, we did mention it in in the second podcast. Um, I'm pretty sure we did at least, um, discussing when apocalypse now came out. (laughs) uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. yeah, So I guess that's, that's when we come into the, the, the Perry jab. uh, Oh yeah. 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 uh, Um, but yeah, just what, what I mean, yeah, you can tell the story because it's yeah, well, worth telling 1979,
1: it. the summer of 1979, the movie Apocalypse Now was released. And I was I was working at a company that um basically um the only not only, but one of the very few people that knew that I was a vet, a Vietnam vet, was the human resources manager. And at this point, I had known her for, I, I guess, probably at least three years, about three years, I suppose. And um, so the movie came out. And on Monday morning, she came out to where I, where I was. And uh, she said, Hey, Roger, I saw Apocalypse Now over the weekend. I said, Oh, you know, really? She said, yeah, yeah. And she says, I never knew that all you vets were either drug addicts or psychopaths. And you know, I was like, you've got to be kidding that me. Was. And I, you know, I pause for a moment and 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 the wheels are going, <laughs> are going like this at warp speed. And I I said to her, I said, "Well, that's what you believe. What can I say?" Yeah, you know, and left it at that. Yeah. But I mean, the the level of stupidity and ignorance is just unbelievable, unbelievable. But I mean, that that again, it, here it was ten years after I got home, right. four years after everything was over, and the mentality of some of the you know the people and out in the public it was just bizarre
0: when she said that was, was that especially too because you know you're caught so off guard like that's <laughs> such a like how could you expect you know good morning roger right and then all of a sudden it's <laughs> you just get smacked yeah. in the face with that but <laughs> like was, was it um like the tone at least not like i'm want to get stuck on this but i just, for my own curiosity. Like, was it in a, in a joking way or like a serious, like what was
1: sort of, no, the it was, it, no, it wasn't joking. Not at all. I mean, if it, if it was, I mean, we could have had a good laugh,
0: you know, I still probably wouldn't say that, but you know, yeah, even as a joke, maybe not a good idea. he was
1: joking and knew I didn't <laughs> fall into those categories and we're just yeah, That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, if she had said something like, well, uh, this movie. If you believed this movie, you would think everybody was you know, right. this yeah. or that. No, it was just very, very matter of factly. I mean, we just—I I don't know the purpose. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't know the purpose now. I didn't know the purpose then. <laughs> it just <laughs> caught it caught me off guard. It just totally caught me off guard, and 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 you know. So I, I like I said, I, I told her, "That's what you think. That's what you want to believe." Well. What can I say? So be it. And that was the end of the conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: But you, you, know.
0: Have a away. good day. Uh, see ya. Yeah. Back to uh, HR I go. Yeah,
1: right. Good representative, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's well, what... The, th- the other thing, uh, Mark, that I, I, that I needed to say was this: this woman, she was the sister of one of the owners of the company. So again, you know, you have to uh, not react. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I mean, I, I wanted to tear into her so bad and call her every name under the sun. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, that falls right in. That's the entrapment. Yeah. Right. And that's the validation. Well, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, constantly on guard. You know, but even when things catch you off guard, right? Um, I don't know what was the better choice. If if there have been people that I've I've told this to, that said, you had the perfect opportunity to tell her what an idiot she was and how stupid she was and ignorant. Why didn't you? Why didn't you do it? Well, you know, maybe maybe they were right. Maybe I should have. I don't know. But to me, you know, you have to, you know. You have to put that shield. You put that shield around you and uh not not react the way you're expected to react or or the way you can you know compromise.
0: I would I would am I matured? Have I matured? I don't know, but one, one reaction would be yeah, to say, you know, oh that was your opportunity to take you know take a shred offer. But then there's Maybe. this other, um, this other saying it's an old saying, um, it's pretty harsh actually, but I quite like it. Cause it's, it's been quite helpful to me. Uh, don't cast pearls before swine. Yeah, <laughs> It's exactly. pretty harsh, but it's yeah. one of those things. Like if someone's an idiot telling them they're an idiot, isn't going to help them because they're an idiot. They don't get it. No.
1: If you argue with <laughs> an idiot, then what do you become?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it's yeah. It, and it's just, it, it's, um, I don't know if if to say it's it's un, unfortunate in in the short term, it's unfortunate that of course you have to deal with that. Mm. Like of course it's, that's that's an unfortunate thing. Like why that's a very unfair, ridiculous thing that you would have to deal with 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 two different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being uh, incredibly rude and, and and insensitive and ignorant. Um, but then it also kind of is interesting because then, you know, you fast forward and it's a much better story for you to sit down with me right now, years later, and to just say, and you know what? And I just yeah. let it, you just, you just got to let it go. And you just,
1: yeah. Well, the thing of it is though, you you don't let it go. I right. mean, it's, it's a cut, you right? Know, it's, you know, you, you lose another piece, you, you know, somebody mm-hmm. takes another piece out of you. Uh, so, You know, you deal for me. You know, deal with it the best I can, and and in my head, saying what a what a moron I'm I'm dealing with. But the chunk is the chunk is there. You know, they took a piece of you in the process. You know, because that's you know, is that what they think of you? Right. You know. So yeah, I mean, you put it behind you and you move on. Um, but you know, and you deal with it, and I'm glad I don't wasn't the way I did. Um, but it, it doesn't mean it didn't hurt or and it it stays with you. I mean, I can I can on an emotional, on a feeling level, I can feel it as we're talking today, the same as intense as you know it did in 1979, which is how many years ago now? Right. You know.
0: Well, and, th- and yeah, that, well, and that does make perfect sense actually, because even, even just kind of in, in, my, ho- in my own head, I'm like, yeah, eh, eh. I've had some terrible, pretty bad things said to me by some pretty nut job, people. Well, yeah. but then yeah. you, but yeah, then you, you also realize that, you know, it's just, it just is what it is. But what's interesting, just as we said, um, or just, as you said that as much as you kind of just, you just cope with it, you deal with it, you still remember it. Oh, yeah. still remember it. This, this many years, decades later, you still remember that, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that is interesting, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when we get to, I guess this is about 1980, you, you also briefly mentioned this in, in the book as well. There's a, a friend of yours who was an Episcopal priest, that's such a tongue twister word, but yeah, yeah. Um, who, who was also a, a counselor. And so I'll just kind of throw it to you. So where where does that fit into your story?
1: Well, um, I I felt, you know, the need that I needed to talk to someone, you know, um, but I couldn't. Right. But then it occurred to me that I know this person that by his ordination i mean he's he's compelled um to privacy and someone i knew and liked um was a friend and i knew i could trust you know so um and this (laughs) this was after the apocalypse, now I don't I don't know what the correlation, if there's any, but you know, it was probably within within a year. Um, but anyway, I would I would share some things with him, and um, he was the first one that suggested that I I write a book. Um, he said your your experiences are. Um, certainly not average <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i would agree and,
1: and, yeah and and very special and unique you know um and and i said i can't i can't i can't write about this stuff and it you know explained he said well then just write it down and you know in a, a journal or, or something just you know put this stuff down um so he, he was um he was very helpful. I, I didn't start at that time. I mean, it just wasn't wasn't the right time for me to start writing. But he was he was a good sounding board um for me when I, I would, you know, have sessions with him with him periodically. And and he was a good sounding board and a good vent release, uh pressure release, you know, um, because that was always there. I mean, that's uh um, you know, and Somebody, um, when any veteran that uh, is in combat um, comes back with a lot of baggage, some more baggage than others. Some, but you know, everybody, everybody has it. It's just human nature. You can't be involved with these sort of things without having, you know, them haunt you in one way or another. You know, Uh, so. He was good, he was a good uh, sounding board and a good pressure release. Uh, I mean, my, my, uh, my temper over those years um, was very, um, I won't say quick uh, because I would try to keep it under control, but on a scale of one to 60 in a blink of an eye, when it reached that point, it would go from zero to 60 in a blink of an eye Um, and that wasn't good you know obviously so um, yeah so that that, that he was he was helpful he was very helpful there and and like I say somebody I could I could trust I knew he wasn't going to judge me Um, you know he was he was a true a true genuine counselor his heart was in it and um, he was not judgmental and uh, you know so he was helpful. It he was very helpful.
0: And just as a note for the listeners or uh, viewers, um, the reason that you couldn't talk about it was because um, as part of your, you could hypothetically talk about your service with 101st Airborne, but yeah. because MACV SOG, you guys all signed uh, non-disclosure agreements. Right. So you literally could not speak about that because it was right. secret. Um
1: Right, it was top secret. Twenty years, twenty-year NDA, um, and they meant business about uh, adhering to that. Um, You know, I don't know if um, if they were ever enforced it. I don't know that they didn't, but I do know that, and and um, Tilt can tell you this, or any of the, the other men that were involved. It was a serious matter. It was a very serious matter. And it was, it was so, so serious that um, people in my unit from the 101st Airborne, including our first sergeant and our company commander, um, were not allowed. They were giving very specific instructions and orders that they were not allowed to question me or those of us that were flying with SOG they were not allowed to ask us anything about it nothing they, they, that was forbidden they made it very clear and interesting enough a few years ago um i uh, reconnected with uh fellow that was my company commander at the time and um and we were we were talking we we met uh on a trip when i was when my wife and i were down in north carolina he lived in north carolina and um I asked him, um, I, you know, I said, Ron, did, did you know details? He said, no, no effing way. He said, I got orders from, uh, from the, uh, the commanding general directly. I got orders that I was forbidden to ask any of the, the men that, that were flying those missions, anything about it. That we were we were to have um, a free free access and free reign of our time, um, and that it was just forbidden. He said, "I didn't know what the hell was going on." <laughs> so, but they it was it was very serious, and um, you know, it wasn't revealed until sometime in the 1990s that um, that the the unit even existed. So yeah. that's uh, yeah so I couldn't I couldn't who could I talk to I couldn't talk to anybody and once the 20 years and 25 years had passed um I wasn't about to tell people that knew I served oh by the way <laughs> I mean, how much of a bser would they think I was if if they had known me for you know so many years and all of a sudden uh you know I was with this top secret organization. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that and also you've kept it because, again, there's some something that I was trying to think about. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to tie it in at, at the end of, of the podcast as well. But um, there was something else that you mentioned in the um, discussion that we had. Uh, which was that when you, when you keep something suppressed for years, it becomes the norm. Yeah. So that in itself was interesting too, because as you're saying this, I'm kind of trying to put it together in my head, which is even um, after two, you know, 20 years go by and, and so much has happened in your time from when you've come home and Mm -hmm. trying to understand the psychology of that. And then, what what incentive would you have then to tell anybody about it?
1: Yeah, no, none. none. Uh, no, there, there was there was none. Um, again, um, I had no means to back up what I might say. I mean there was there was no one. I had nobody that could verify and could validate anything. Um, so why 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 bother i had i had encountered wannabes uh, over the years um, and after a few questions realized that you know my suspicions were that they were a a, a bullshitter and after a few questions uh, realized in fact they, they certainly were and i i i did not want, i was super conscious of not wanting to be perceived by anybody as one of these uh, wannabes or stolen valor type people, um, so you know there was no reason to. Um, and and again, uh, I just I just felt that I was going to take this pretty much take this to to, to the grave, uh, my story. And you know, but then that changed. That changed. Um, you know, it changed when. Things were declassified uh, when the unit was finally acknowledged that it even existed. Um, I I received the, uh, my Purple Heart uh, unannounced, unceremoniously in the mail and, uh, on 4th of July weekend, and weekend uh, um, 2001, just arrived in the mail and in a torn manila <laughs> envelope that it could have it could have fallen out along the way and opened it up. And I so, well, what do you know? That's after, uh, you know, things were declassified and whatnot, I guess. Um, and then fast forward to um, 2011, when I was contacted by, um, first by my ex-partner, my partner from Vietnam, who had been contacted by uh one of the Saab guys um telling him that he was trying to track me down and um reconnect and um present awards that were submitted for us back then back in the day that somehow got lost um supposedly a, a couple times had been submitted and got lost or trashed or whatever along the way, Uh, which I didn't know at the time, but I found out, you know, in recent years, there was a lot of that that went on with SOD guys that people up the chain, um, not necessarily up the chain of command, but up the chain, um, jealous of things, of people, of awards um, that ended up putting these things in the garbage and or you know wherever, and they never got processed. So anyway, in 2011, um, Scott DiArman called me, and uh, we reconnected. He said that um, there are these people that are trying to uh, contact me. They want they w- want to reconnect with Special Operations Group, and um, at that point, uh, things happened quickly. Uh, a day or two later, I got a, a phone call from uh, this fellow Dick Crawford, who was spearheading the event to get these awards reissued. Um, Dick was a combat uh, special forces combat medic. He was the uh, he was the guy that was strapped to uh, to me when we got lifted out of Laos in 1968. Um, and we reconnected, um, they brought Scott and I, and this other fellow, Richard Chapman, who was the co-pilot at the time. They brought us down to Las Vegas. Um, we were invited to be, to join the organization, the Special Operations Association. And, um, we were awarded, um, our medals that we had earned and didn't know we earned. Um, way back in 1968, and now I connected with all these people that I served with and hadn't spoken to for 43 years, um, and now I had validation to you know first to my own self that yeah <laughs> you actually did do these. <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't a figment of my imagination or something that came to me in a dream um these are the men that i worked with um and uh so that filled a huge void in in my soul um where now if i could i had somebody to talk to and them to talk to me and um, so yeah that that um that opened up a whole new world for me and from from them um they started really pushing me people like Tilt, John Meyer, really started pushing me to write my story. Um, Tilt told me that he said, Roger, you know, um, your perspective is very different than, than, than speaking for himself, than my perspective. You not only knew part of what was going on the ground, but what was taking place in the air and what you saw. So uh, with encouragement from him and, and some others, um yeah, that's how, how the book came about.
0: A good segue to that, because um, you, you also uh, mention it in the book, um, but in, in regards to um, the metals, which are behind you um, for the people viewing. Um, you, I, I think it was in, in, uh, 1990, uh, can't quite remember, but it is in the book. i pretty sure it was 90, I guess you can correct me when I believe it was your wife who encouraged you. Cause you, you basically kept your medals tucked away, um, yeah. who, who encouraged you to yeah. have some air. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, you know, the, the medals, um, that I had at the time, um, I never I never put them out because it was half a story. Right. You know, part of the reason it was half a story. Um yeah, around 1990, um she really was was pushing me to put them out, you know, my two adult sons had never seen them at that point. Um And it wasn't. I wasn't ashamed of them by any stretch. It wasn't that at all. In the early days, I wouldn't put them out because, you know, (laughs) why would I put out something that I'm going to get criticized over or, you know, slammed over? But um, so then, you know, years lead into years, and they just never went out. So I did. I did um, around 1990. um, Had uh, my medals. Uh, put out had the documents, the uh, framed, uh, um, and that that started then. Um, and it was a healing process too. I think um, people that saw them said, "I had no idea." You know that was a common thing. Wow, why didn't you put these up? What took so long? Well, that's a longer story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I mean, it was by that point in time, um, people were favorable, you know, and friendly towards vets. I mean, obviously, so um, yeah, 1990, around 1990, uh, I finally dug them out of the cedar chest and uh, put them up.
0: And what what was interesting about that? Because obviously, I read that um, portion of the book uh, preparing for the first podcast. And then second in for this podcast, uh, you know, gone back through the book and uh, notes and et cetera. Um, But what was interesting is um, after we had done the first one, uh, talking to just friends and family about it. uh, the, The one thing I say is the, yeah, you know, when we're doing these Zoom calls, if I'm not looking at Roger, I'm looking at his medals. I just think, wow, it's so, <laughs> so crazy. So it's, it's so funny, you know, just to, the different perspective because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm coming into the situation kind of once things have been resolved for you, you know, it's a very different yeah. story now, but it's, it's just so interesting to think like when I see it as a podcaster, I'm just like, I feel pride that I'm, mm-hmm. I have someone who's done so much to deserve, you know, those types of, awards, and then to to hear that, you know, there was a time where you didn't feel that, and it's no. just, just, wow, you know, it's just so, no. and obviously no. very happy that, you know, in 2011 then added to it, you know, more, more yeah. fame, which was fantastic as well, obviously, it's yeah. phenomenal to hear.
1: It just, just reconnecting in 2011. I mean, that was enough for me, <laughs> that, I mean, really, really was. Yeah. It, again, um, I, I mean, you can only imagine what that felt like to have these people, not, not for accolades, just, just to reconnect that, you know, that we worked together on these top secret missions uh, behind enemy lines over and over and over. Um, the things that we went through together, you know, um, that was all, I mean, that was, uh, that was icing on the cake, I was saying, that really was. The, then the awards, uh, of course, I appreciate it. Um, I was, at, at that time, in 2011, um, I was awarded uh, my second Distinguished Flying Cross and a Bronze Star from, uh, Special Operations, which was, and and the other honor was, uh, and I have a picture of it in the book, where I was pinned by Major General Singlov, who was one of the most famous special operators of all time. Um, and when he pinned me and he said to me, uh, he leaned in a little bit and he said, I'm very proud of you <laughs> and that was you know this is like getting a compliment from the best of the best you know and the other one uh, presenting the award was Major General Bargewell who um, uh, who both both of whom had passed now but it, it was just a magical you know magical time and, and continues to be
0: And so uh... Might be a bit of a, a goofy question to ask you, but I, I was thinking about it just today, um, which was so obviously 2011 is many years after even the non-disclosure ended. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I was just kind of wondering was. Um, and the story about the, the when Scott reconnected was very funny as well. You, you talk about it in the book; it's, it's quite good. But um, I, I was just wondering why why didn't you reach out to anybody, or why or or did you? I didn't. Didn't okay. And was mm-hmm. it just? I was just kind of curious about. Well, him, like, wonder why that was. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, um, for for one thing, so much time had been going going by. I didn't think um, I'd be able to that they would even remember me. wow, <laughs> you know,
0: right, okay, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. and the the other thing was there was there was this uh, concern about the non-disclosure that had carried over, I think. okay. It's not like 20 years after in 19, let's say, 1988, I thought, oh good. 20 years. No, I, I wasn't aware of that at all. I, I wasn't aware of that. But the first year after I was home, and I, I, I don't think I mentioned this in the book, um, my wife and I were married only, I don't know, five or six months or so at the time. And I got a phone call in the evening, and it was from a crew chief that served with us, also also, um, served with Sog. And he called me up, and he said, hey, he said, this is, I'm not even going to mention his name, this is so-and-so. And And I said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, "Uh, look, I I really don't want to be on the phone. Can you meet me? I'm here. And he told me where he was. And um, it was you know, in, in the Bridgeport area where I lived at the time, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, he said, please, he said, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, OK, you know, I'll, be, I'll be there in a few minutes, in 20 minutes or so. So uh, Barbara, um, I said, come on, come with me. I, I want you to meet this guy. And um, so we went to the, to the diner where he was. And we walked in and he was he was over in the corner, his back up against the wall. He's over in the corner and he, you know, he just signaled me. So I went over and introduced my wife to him and. uh, He was obviously upset. And he said, "Uh, Chief, can we talk privately? I said, "Yeah, sure. My, My wife went up to the counter and ordered a coffee and whatnot. I said, what's going on? And he said, I don't don't know. I don't know. He said, but um, I think someone's after me. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, let me explain. He lived in Florida, um, and he explained to me that he had applied to the police department. And um, after he had applied to the police department, it did paperwork, did some testing and whatnot. And uh, and they, they told him that, you know, it'll, it's going to take a few weeks and we have some background checks and this and that. So um, he said that uh, his neighbors, first one and then another, told him, stopped him and told him that there were some men there asking about him. And um, and I said, what do you mean? I said, you, you know, you were going to get the background check. He said, yeah. He said, but they weren't asking about my civilian background. They were asking me about my experience in the military and who I served with and um, asked, asked some, you know, just odd questions. Uh, were you ever involved in any kind of atrocities and you know and he said, no okay. so yeah one of his other neighbors the same thing um then he went went to the, the to the police station and said hey you know what gives what's going on here <laughs> right you know um and they said what are you talking about and they and he told them he said no we haven't sent anybody out we haven't sent out. We check we go through files, we go through to see if there's any anything in your arrest you know record or anything like that. And he panicked. He said that, you know, he said, I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to a couple people that we were running top- secret missions, and we were into Laos and North Vietnam and whatnot. And he said, he said, I think they're coming they're coming after me." Now, he, this, that was the last time I ever saw him or heard from him. Uh, he was heading up to Maine. His, his wife's uncle or somebody owned property uh, up in Maine, up in, up in the forest in Maine somewhere. He said, I'm going there. He said, he said you know, if they're after me, they're, they're, they won't find me. And uh, that was the last time I ever heard from him. Never heard from him again. So whether now I Scott knows my, my partner Scott knows his story. Um and he and this fellow, he never liked this fellow. Uh he thought he was a little bit um, off the deep end. And um, you know, I, I liked him. Um uh, he was a good was a good soldier. But anyway, um, you know, Scott. Seemed to think that he was just, you know, maybe he was paranoid, and but he didn't know who these investigators were. He said they just they just showed up and you know in 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 suits, um, didn't give any ID. Um, They said they said that they were doing the background checks um, on him for the police department.
0: So they knew Uh, that too. Oh my goodness!
1: Yeah. So. That always stayed in the back of my mind. Well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now, oh. knowing knowing this fella, yeah, I mean, could he? I didn't. I didn't see him when we were in the military. I didn't see him as someone who would panic or go off the deep end. I never saw that side of him. Uh, he was a good professional. Um, but like I say, Scott saw something in him that he didn't like. So I I don't know, but this always weighed in the back, uh, in the back of my mind too. Um, so I, (laughs) so as time went on, you know, I didn't have it written on the calendar 20 years ago. (laughs) It's just by that point in time, what good is
0: it, you know? Very that's nice. such a heartbreaking story, too. Oh my goodness, that's that's terrible. Again,
1: I don't know. I, I, I really, you know, to be clear, I don't know if it was a figment of his imagination, if he was just right. getting paranoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was he was visibly scared. I'd never seen him like that. He was a pretty cool, cool um mannered character, cool with his nerves, um, cool, and as a matter of fact, when when Scott and I got shot down uh, in September in Laos. He was in our wing ship that, you know, uh, that was with us, uh, tried to protect us, but then had to leave. So I don't, I really don't know. But it, it left the mark with me, you know, the question mark. So I don't know.
0: Well, what's interesting about that, because um, I've listened to, I'm all caught up on John's podcast now, uh, John Strykermeyer. Um, for the listeners, um, who's been on twice, uh, which is, yeah. kind of got the ball rolling with all this, which was yeah great. you do. But um, what was interesting, I I don't remember the episode. Um, it was one of his first, it was, it was kind of around the first dozen or so. Um, that's about as that's about as specific as I can get. But I remember one of the guys was saying that um, there was a, uh, a CIA spook type guy um, going through his garbage to see if there was anything, um, you know, in violation of the non-disclosure, but, and what's so heartbreaking about that story that that you told too, is, uh, I mean, you know, for all, for all we know, I mean, there's like a hundred different possibilities, but even if it's just the case of, yeah, maybe some people actually did come to check it out. And, you know, the combination of that, and this is only a year later, so hmm. who knows what his state of mind is. And, yeah. and even just for you, when, when you're yeah. describing what it was like for you coming back a year later, you were very, you know, it's it's touchy in a way, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and and even something innocent enough, that might be enough to trigger, you know, a sure. very negative response in, a, in, a, in a, another person, right? But I mean, again, it's you know, it's, so many possibilities. But yeah. yeah, so I guess that does answer my question. <laughs> oh, my <goodness. laughs> yeah Yeah, that's such a terrible thing
1: yeah well yeah yeah, but it it, it was you know again another branding into the brain that you know put it put in a compartment and you know just you know it's there
0: of course yeah um and so timing wise we got we got a few minutes um but uh one of the things that um yeah, I guess we're kind of good. We'll kind of wrap up here. But one of the things to to wrap up on, um, I guess I can edit it out if I can't say. I don't think it's a problem. But um, I'm I'm very excited um, to be meeting you and John and uh, many others uh, at the event. Um, mm-hmm. Special Special Operations Association reunion. Um, yeah. I always mess those. Acronyms up, but I think I got that one right. Um, yeah, you got this in, it Vegas right. in uh, October. Uh, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. And actually, what was so funny, um, was that in the podcast, uh, John's podcast with Tim, uh, Shaf, 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 yeah, Schaff, um, he was mentioning you because obviously the mission, uh, mm. which was pretty which we covered on um, a second episode, um, with you. Um, but I am, I am giddy. I am literally counting. I already got it booked. I already know what's going on. It's fantastic. But, um, Mm. I just wanted to say, you know, it's, it's been very interesting for myself, considering that when I started the podcast, uh, you know, a few years ago, I never imagined, um, I mean, really, I didn't I really didn't have much of an idea of what I was doing other than I feel like I want to, you know, I want to do this. I think this is a good thing to do. And let's just see how this thing plays out. And to now be here several years later um, to have met so many incredible people, uh, you, John, and also Dale Hansen, who's another Green Beret who served with Mac V. Sog, who's uh, we're going to be recording in two, three weeks um i mean it's just it's just remarkable i mean i i really feel so fortunate um to be in this position and and to be able to just and you're so good with me you let me just pick your brain on everything which is fantastic because i'm pesky i know that
1: <laughs>
0: but um i mean yeah, there was
1: a, there was a time that that would not have happened
0: that's right that's right yeah. and I, I just feel very, very grateful for that, and I, I'm so excited to to meet you all in in person. Yeah, um, and I, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. I mean, these are, you know, as much as um, you know, kind of alluded to it earlier, and you know, I kind of, I, I'm, I've, even as a as a kid, I've always been interested in so many different things, and I kind of always felt like I never really fit in mm. anywhere because. You know, I was kind of too, too nerdy for like, you know, the sports guys and then not hippie enough for the music people. And so, you know, I'm interested in all these things, but I have to say, you know, more and more um, as I, as I improve my, myself through hosting this podcast and, and really trying to push myself to create, uh, you know, the best content that I can and, and through different ways and different conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel just right at home, um, you know, sitting in this chair and and being able to sit down with so many interesting people. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. And, and to, uh, for you to extend the, the invitation is uh, uh, to, to come down there and, I'm just oh, so excited to be a fly on the wall. That's all. I just want. I just want to hang out. I just want to see. I just want to observe. You know. I but, hope it's not. Hope it's not
1: anticlimactic.
0: No, I think. I think it's going to be great. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to my I yeah. uh, just know. want to say, you know, thank you so much, and and to uh, share your story and spend so much time with me. Uh, you know, doing these. You know, I think this oh, is like seven welcome. hours. It's been, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's been enjoyable. You're a good host. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. I think we can kind of end there. Um, any final thoughts from yourself?
1: No, no, just um, glad to do this with you. You're 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 a good host. You're a good interviewer. Um, you make us very comfortable um, in, in doing this.
0: Great. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You're welcome.